Welcome to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as Pastor Kirk continues our series through the book of Ephesians. Now, if you're looking for a church to call your own, we want to invite you to come and worship with us at Calvary in Fayetteville. Our worship at Calvary begins at 10.30 a.m. every Sunday morning. If you have questions about Calvary, let me encourage you to check out our website at calvaryfayetteville.com. You can call us at 479-442-4634, or you can email us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com, and someone from our staff will get back to you as quickly as we can. Now, on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is sharing a message from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32, with a message entitled, From Grave Clothes to Grace Clothes. Let's listen together. For some of you, I've heard uh, it said that your Bibles are just kind of automatically follow, uh, falling open to the book of Ephesians. Uh, we have gone through about three and a half chapters. We've been here for a while. This is about message number, I don't know, 20, 21, something like that. We will get through sometime before Christmas, Lord willing. All right, Lord willing. But you know what? Every verse of God's Word is a Christmas message. It's part of the story of God giving to us His Son, Jesus Christ. So if perchance we get into December and we don't have some special uh, Christmas series, well, just uh, grin and bear it and uh, just pray for the services. They'll all have uh, the message of the birth of our Savior in them. Well, the theme for our study of Ephesians is rags to riches. Ours is a study of how we exchange what we inherited in Adam, which were our rags as descendants of Adam with a sin nature, and how we have exchanged, we've inherited uh, rags in Adam, but we've exchanged that for the riches that we can receive in Christ. And that's what the book of Ephesians uh, really lays out in great detail. Now, if you'll remember, we've said about this, this short letter that Paul wrote to these believers uh, in Ephesus and other cities in that area. Uh, we've said that it follows kind of a familiar pattern in Paul's writings, that uh, oftentimes what he'll do, he'll start off one of his letters with deep doctrinal theological truth. We find that in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, uh, of our riches in Christ, of how we were dead in our sins, but how Jesus, uh, through his sacrifice, because of the grace of God, there is now one new humanity altogether, that before there were Jews and Gentiles, but now there is this new humanity of those who are in Christ. And in chapter 3, he expanded on that and prayed about that. And then in chapter 4, he shifts gears a little bit and says, basically, because of all of these great things God has done, this is how you need to live. Doctrine leads to practice. It's not enough just to believe the truth. If it doesn't change your life, 
then it doesn't have the, the needed impact uh, that God sent it for. You see, doctrine, knowing the truth of God, leads to changes in our lives. But even back over here in this doctrinal, or in this doctrinal portion, where he's talking about us being dead in our sins, and he says that great passage about how we are saved by grace through faith. He interjects verse 10 that says this. I believe it'll be on the screen. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are not saved by our good works, but we are saved to good works. We are saved to a life that's different, that God prepared beforehand, that even before you lived, God planned your salvation, your conversion, that even before you were uh, even thinking of spiritual things, even in eternity past, God selected you, God chose you, and he chose you for salvation, for conversion in his son Christ, and he chose you for a life that is going to accomplish something for his honor and glory. He prepared works beforehand for you that we should walk in them. And then when we get over to chapter 4, this very practical part, he starts right in and we find that word walk several times describing how we are to live. Now the Bible is written not just to be studied, but to be obeyed. And that's why the word therefore is used so often in the New Testament. In Ephesians, it is especially so. In the first uh, three chapters of, of God's Word here in Ephesians. He uses the word therefore, building a case for what He wants in our lives. He uses it one time. But in, verse, in chapters 4, 5, and 6, He uses the word therefore ten times. Therefore, walk in this way. Therefore, live in this way. Therefore, don't continue living as you lived before. Now, before I read the text, I want to remind you of a story back in John chapter 11. Do you remember a man by the name of Lazarus? He was a dear friend of Jesus Christ. Jesus had spent time in the home of Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, on several occasions. And there came that day that Lazarus became very ill and he died. But before he died, the sisters sent messages, sent word uh, to Jesus, can you come quickly? Our brother is gravely ill. Jesus deliberately waited several days and then he went to Bethany just outside of Jerusalem. But by this time, Lazarus was already dead. When he gets to town, he goes to the cemetery. And Mary and Martha are along the way. Other family members, no doubt. Many disciples, the apostles who traveled with Jesus were there. No doubt there was a crowd on that hot dusty cemetery roadside on that day, along with probably most of the village of Bethany. Jesus was a popular figure. And so wherever he was, there was a crowd. And he said, roll away the stone. Now, do you remember what Martha said? She said, Jesus, let's not do that. 
He's been dead four days, and I like the way the ESV says it, there will be an odor. <laughs> he stinketh four days in hot Palestine in a grave, not buried up by dirt, but in a cave. Roll away the stone. Jesus knew what he was going to do. And then he said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And here comes Lazarus, walking out of that burial cave, wrapped in linen cloths around his hands, around his face, around his body. He was fully alive, but he was still dressed in those grave clothes. And Jesus' words were, unbind him and let him go. I want to tell you something, folks. The story of Lazarus is our story. It's your story. It's my story. There came a day that Jesus called us to life. And had he not called, we would have never found real life. But he called us, and we responded, and we answered. He quickened our hearts. He made us alive in Christ. And here we come, stumbling our way out of the burial place, out of the place of death. But here we are, still wrapped in grave clothes, still wrapped in the cloths that bind the dead person. And sometimes, guess what? We still smell a little bit dead. For the moment Jesus saves you, you are not instantly forever in this life just all of a sudden sanctified or made clean. The process of sanctification is exactly that. It is a process. And so sometimes we who have been made alive in Christ still find ourselves dressed a little bit like the dead, smelling a little bit like the dead, needing to follow the instruction of the Lord as He grows us into Christ's likeness. Does that picture make sense to you? I'm not saying we're any less alive in Christ, but I'm saying that although we have already been made perfect in heaven, in this life, Sometimes we still bear the marks of our deadness, of our sinfulness. And that's what this passage of Scripture in Ephesians 4 is all about. He began chapter 4 by saying, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And if you remember last week, he goes on to talk about how that we are one in Christ. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Spirit. We are guided as one people in Christ. And then following that, how although we are one in Christ as the church, we have different gifts and different abilities, and we have different contributions to make, that we are united in our oneness, but we are also united in how we are, we are very varied, and all of the various gifts just supports the whole to grow us up into Christ. And then he gets to verse 17, and this will begin 
our text today. Rather than reading all 16 verses at once, let me give you three points. He describes the old man in verses 17 through 19. He describes the new man in verses uh, 20 through 24. And then he describes in further detail the changed life in verses 26 down through verse 32. The old man, follow me as I read. Verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of the heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This is the word of the Lord. We need to pay heed to it, do we not? The old man. This is where Paul is telling them, you need, if you're a believer, to take off the grave clothes. You're no longer a citizen of the cemetery. You have now been made alive in Jesus Christ. You have been born again. The key issue in these verses is how people think. He talks here about uh, the futility of their mind. And he tells us in Proverbs, as we think uh, in our hearts, so are we, that the mind is so important. He tells us in verse 20, you have not so learned Christ. Jesus is not the one who teaches you to think in these old ways. Before we can become Christ-like, we've got to realize that the Christian experience is cognitive before it is experiential that we have to repent of our sins, that we have to have a new mind. That's what repentance is, to have a changed mind. And the changed mind leads to a changed life. And the first step in repentance is to think differently about our sin. It is to think differently about God. It is to think differently about Christ. It is to think differently than we've always thought before. To change one's mind is what repentance is all about. But here as he describes the old man, the unregenerate man, referring to him as a Gentile. And understand that's a figurative term. He's not talking about literally Gentiles versus Jews. But remember the idea of being Gentiles of which these Ephesians were. He's referring back to before they knew Christ. Gentile in the New Testament is an expression describing the unregenerate person, the unsaved person, the person who is still in their sins, the person that still may be in paganism and worshiping and seeking to follow their own will and their own way. It is what we were before Christ. And in these verses we just read, he describes this old man, the old person, with four different ideas. They are progressive. First of all, there is a self-centeredness. People in their sins are self-centered. He says you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the 
futility, the word there is vanity, and the emptiness, the worthlessness of their minds, of the way they think. How do lost people think? They think about themselves. They think about their own desires. Whatever they think and whatever they want is what governs their behavior. When you go back to chapter 2 and he's describing the lost person dead in his sins, dead in her sins, as we all once were, he said we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. We were self Centered, we were self focused, we were narcissists in every single way that you could be. And he says that that way of life is empty, it is useless, it is vain, it is futile. So there is a self centeredness. And then verse 18 says that leads to an ignorance. An ignorance. And when I say ignorance, I'm not talking about stupid. I'm not talking about just a lack of knowledge, but it is a lack of being able to understand and comprehend spiritual things. Look at verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding. That's an ignorance. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. Do you remember that at the end of chapter 1, Paul prayed a rather lengthy prayer for these believers. And then at the end of chapter 3, he prayed another rather lengthy prayer for these believers. And then in both of those prayers, what did he pray for? He prayed for spiritual understanding. He prayed that they would be able to comprehend the things of the Spirit. That only saved people can do that. That lost people have no ability to comprehend the things of the Spirit. That we need to be enlightened. We need to be able to grasp spiritual truth and realize the only real truth there is is God's truth in the Word. Not your truth, not my truth, not somebody else's truth. There's just God's truth and everything else is a lie. But these people, because of their self-centeredness, have become ignorant to God's truth. This is the old man. This is the old way of life. Notice the progression. They are darkened. That means to make blind. Well, you can't see. Darkened in the eyes. Only they are darkened in their understanding. Because of the alienation, the separation they have from life in God... And that this is the result of the ignorance that is in them. And all of that is a result of the hardness of their hearts. Now that's the reverse process. The way it works is this way. A person hardens their heart against the truth of God. Hardens their heart against God's word. God's work in their life. And it causes them to become ignorant of the things of God because they reject it. And as a result, they are alienating themselves from life in the Lord. And the result of that is that they are darkened. They are made blind in their understanding. They have no comprehension of actually how separated they are 
from the life of God. And an example for that in Scripture is the Old Testament person by the name of Pharaoh. In the book of Exodus, when God's truth came to him, what did he do? He rejected it. He pushed against it. He became hard in his heart. And as he began to harden his heart, guess what it says? It says God hardened his heart even further. I'm going to tell you, sin will take you further than you ever meant to go. The prodigal found this out, that he rejected a little bit, and God rejected him completely. And so we find Pharaoh hardening his heart, becoming ignorant of the things of God, alienated from life in God, so much that he became blind and had no understanding of what God was seeking to do in his life and in the lives of his people. Ignorance, self-centeredness leads to ignorance. And then notice in verse 19 it says, they have become callous. Callous. You know what a callous is, don't you? You may have one on the bottom of your foot. If you work with your hands, you have them in your hands. It's a place where constant work and labor have made the flesh hard and you can't feel there any longer. There's no feeling. It means to be hardened and past feeling. And we find that this is shamelessness. These people in the old man, the old way of life, self-centered, ignorant, have now become shameless, no feeling, callous. In other words, they perform sin and don't even think anything about it. They don't even want to hide it anymore. And that can lead over time to number four, perversion. Perversion, verse 19, the second part. They've not only become callous, they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. Once a person has become shamelessly callous and deadened to the word of God and the voice of God, they become susceptible to all kinds of sinful perversion. The Greek word translated sensuality here is shameless wantonness, unblushing obscenity. You may have seen the picture on the news this past week of some protest. I don't even know which one it was because they have them on a daily basis in California. And there's a woman standing there with a sign, and the sign says, Keep God out of California. I'm going to tell you, my friends, that is unblushing obscenity. That is perversion. It is sinning without any fear of shocking anyone anymore. If In fact, sometimes it's done just to shock people, and they don't care. All kinds of sexual uh, misbehavior, promiscuity, lying, cheating, stealing. It's just all this. And it says that a person can come to the place that they pursue that kind of perversion with greediness. That is a desire for something that belongs to someone else. I see your sin. I'm going to perform that sin, and, and I'm going I'm to up the ante just a little bit and make it even worse in my life. Now, folks, that's the old man. That's the person without Christ. And here's the deal. You may be here and be without Christ today. You may have never, for whatever reason, 
seen fit to surrender your life in humility to Christ and ask for forgiveness and ask for cleansing and to have a changed mind about sin and not just believe in Christ but make a change of life that I'm no longer going this way. It's a change of mind and direction and I'm going to walk this way. You may have never made that decision in your life. You may be, in the eyes of the world, of your community, of your family, one of the best people that could possibly be. You may work to be honest and sincere, and you may do your best to help others. You may live better than some people who claim to be Christ followers. But if you've rejected Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, understand you are just as lost as anybody that was described in those first three verses. You may not be as bad as they are, but you're just as lost as they are. Just as lost and doomed to an eternity without Christ. You need to give your life to Jesus. Understand that if you do not, your rejection of His truth and resistance against His truth makes you susceptible to becoming everything that is described in verses 17 through 19 and even worse if you continue. And certainly for those that you care a lot about who seek to follow in your steps, if you are rejecting Christ, you may be rejecting Christ also for those who love you, who are your children, your grandchildren, or others. So that's the old man. Now look at the new man in verses 20 through 24. This is where we put on the grace clothes. You take off the grave clothes, you put on the grace clothes. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Again, remember, it begins in how you think about God and truth and His will and His purpose for your life. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This too is the word of the Lord. This is what we are to do. What is he talking about here? This is the process of sanctification. Again, it's a process, not an experience. There's not just some prayer you can pray, some surrender you can make, that somehow in, in one emotional time before the Lord, maybe in an alternate worship service, that, that you can all of a sudden just become like Jesus we gain ground and lose ground in this. The process of sanctification. And we're not talking about being sanctimonious. We're not talking about being hypocritical. We're just talking about learning to live like Jesus, valuing the things He values and reflecting His life and His Spirit inside of us. It is learning to be what we have already become. In Christ, you have already been made perfect. In Christ, you were already sanctified. In Him, you were already complete. 
and without sin. But understand, we are not with Him yet. We're still having to live this out in this life. And this life is a process of steps. Steps of obedience. It's like we said last Sunday. When a person follows the Lord in water baptism, what is that? Does that water baptism, does that place them in Jesus? Does that in some way save their souls? Absolutely not. It is a, fig a figure. It is a picture. It is an illustration. But what is it illustrating to the world? It is illustrating to the world something that happened inside when the Spirit of God baptized you into Jesus Christ. It is the physical expression of that. And sanctification, step by step, learning to obey the Lord, learning to take off the old grave clothes like Lazarus and be dressed in the grace clothes and to live like Jesus is a day-by-day -day process of learning to be what we already are in God's sight and what we already are in heaven. And you know what basically that means if you'll do that faithfully? That when the Lord calls you home, when the Lord takes you out of this life and takes you into His presence, it's not going to cause some kind of major rupture in your life and your lifestyle. It's to be like Enoch. To walk with, so God, with God so long and so faithfully that one day when the Lord says, Enoch, we're closer to my house than we are to yours. Why don't you just come on home with me today? And Enoch said, okay, I'll come. For some of us, if Jesus were to come right now, if he were to call us out of this life right now, it would be a major, major upset to our day-to-day -day existence. Why? Because we're so deeply rooted in this world, and we love the things of this world so much, and we've got our anchors so deep down into this world, and our roots so deep in this world, it, we're going to be like... We're, I, I, sometimes the words just don't come. Sometime we're going to be like Lot's wife. Turn around, looking at what we're having to leave. Not literally. You're not going to turn into a pillar of salt. I know. But she loved this world too much, didn't she? When it came time to go, she didn't want to go. Some of us, if we're not careful, we profess Christ. We profess to be Christ followers. But we're so devoted and so rooted to this world and to this life that, that Jesus come back, but just not now. There's too many things I want to do. Sanctification frees us up from that. It liberates us from that. It cuts those cords that hold on to us so tightly and that over time, Satan has less control, less influence over us Every day that goes by, we become more Christ-like. This old nature is what we are by birth. Romans chapter 6 tells us that. That by birth, we have an old nature. But at the new birth, that control has been broken. And you don't have to obey the old urges anymore. Used to, you had no strength. As an old man, you had no strength against that. But as a new person in Christ, you do. 
Verse 21 teaches us that the truth is in Jesus. We learned Christ. We heard about him. We are taught in him. In verse 22, we are exhorted to put off the conduct that corresponds to that old person. This is a reference to our behavior, our habits, our lifestyle. It takes place by being renewed in our minds by the Spirit and by the Word. Don't don't keep walking around in your grave clothes, smelling of death. Instead, put on the clothes of the new man created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Learn to be who you are. Believe who you are and live accordingly. That's the new man. Then in the last seven verses or so, and we'll just hurry through those, we have the changed life. That's number three. The old man, the new man, the changed life. Now, hear me for just a moment before we read these verses. As we progress on into chapter five and chapter six of Ephesians, he's going to talk about some key relationships in life. He's going to talk about some very key areas, about how to walk as children of light in this world. He's going to talk about how husbands and wives relate to each other and what a home should look like. He's going to talk about parents and children. Man, do we need that today? And he's going to talk about that. He's going to talk about the relationship between employers and employees, how to be a good employee how to be a good employer. He's going to talk in a lengthy passage in chapter 6 about how to fight spiritual warfare. He's going to talk about the spiritual armor that God has made available to us, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He's going to talk about all these things and how to have success and how to find victory in these areas of life. But before he goes into those, he gives us some basic training. And that's verses 25 through 32. These are getting the basics out of the way so that you can get to the specific courses you came to learn for how to live for Christ. He's saying that everybody, whether you're a son or daughter, whether you're a parent or child, husband and wife, employer, employee, uh, those who are you know, fighting spiritual warfare, whoever you are, you all need these basics. These fundamental things need to be true. And he says in verse 25, Therefore, having put away, remember the old grave clothes, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear." And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, 
forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now he's saying to us, in whatever context life finds you, at home, at work, out there in the world, in your private, personal life, wherever you are, there are some fundamental things that need to be true about your life if you want the hand of God, the blessing of God on you. And he gives us this list. Every single thing he says here is a whole sermon in itself. I'm just going to read it again and give you a one word or two explanation. First of all, put away falsehood and speak the truth. Why? For we are members one of another. Speak truthfully. Don't lie. Don't even manipulate the words in certain way that that Technically, you told the truth, but you know you left a very different impression. That's lying too. It's deceiving. Don't do that. Put away falsehood. Speak the truth. The world lies. Why? Because they are of their father, the devil, who is the father of all lies. Don't live that way. Be angry. Is it okay to be angry? Man, my, one of my aunts who was a very godly woman and I out in Oregon years ago when we lived out in that part of the country. She and I had an argument that lasted at least a half a day because she said it's sin always to be angry. And I couldn't get through to her. Can you not read these words? Be angry, but do not sin in your anger. Now, how in the world do you do that? You know the problem with it is, most of the things that make us angry, make us angry because someone has violated our rights. And so we're standing up for ourselves or our rights, and we get angry at something. I said, that's sinful anger. That's not a surrendered life. Jesus got angry. Jesus got so angry that he took a whip, a cat of nine tails, and turned over tables on the temple grounds and ran money changers out of the temple. And yet he did not sin in doing that. But guess what? He wasn't standing up for his rights. He was standing up for his father's rights. He was standing up for his father's honor and integrity, not his own. Be angry, but do not sin in your anger. And and even even that, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Boy, that puts a time limit on it, doesn't it? Don't let it carry over till tomorrow, and the next day, and the next week. Some of you right here today, you're angry at somebody or someone about something that you've been angry about for weeks or months or maybe even years. You need to give that stuff up. Did you know it is stopping the work of God in your life when you do that? It is hindering the anointing of God on your life. Don't give the devil room to work. Don't give the devil an opportunity. You know what the word here is describing? It's describing a toehold. Or a, a foothold. Imagine, imagine someone climbing a mountain and, and what are they looking? They're looking for the next toehold, the next place, the next 
handhold, just enough to get maybe the fingertips in. Don't give the devil room. You know, he's like that rude vacuum cleaner salesman, and he knocks on your door, and you know who he is, and you know why he's there. Don't open the door. Why? Because as soon as you do, even just a little bit, you know what he's going to do? He's going to stick his foot in that door. And then he's going to reach in and he's going to dump a sack of dirt on your floor and say, do you want me to vacuum that up for you? you got to let me in. Let me in. The devil works just like that. Give him room to work and he will. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we don't have time to go over there, but this is a whole lesson to itself. He talks about that the word of God is powerful to the tearing down of Satan's strongholds. That's the word in the Greek, strongholds in our lives. A stronghold there is, is describing a castle, a fortress. That sometimes in our lives, the devil has a fortress inside of us. It's a place of strength. It's a place of power. It's a place of control. And the reason Satan has a stronghold in our life is because sometime in the past, we gave him an opportunity to work. We gave him a toehold. We gave him a finger hold. We gave him just a little corner of our life where he was free to come in and start building a fortress stone by stone, beam by beam, block by block. And that little habit, whatever it was, Maybe it was the wrong use of alcohol. Maybe it was something in our thought life. Maybe it was a, a struggle with, with mild, very mild pornography or what we watch or some of the games we play. But over time, guess what? That thing that I used to get a little bit of pleasure out of, that I gave the devil room to work, now it's become a place where it's a stronghold in my life. And I no longer have control. And the devil's calling the shots in my life. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Because if you do, what starts off as a little thing becomes a fortress. Don't steal. Work honestly. Work honestly. Why? So that you can save up and have all those toys you won't know. So that you can help others. That's what he says here. Work honestly. It is a good thing to, to make more money. So long as you're not compromising the truth of God and, and the work of God in your life. And that you're not intending just to spend it on your own pleasure or for your own people. Have it available to help others. Watch your language. Does your language build up and show grace to people or does it tear down? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the one who is keeping you to the day of redemption, the one who is there to give you guidance, the one who is, who is God in you, the hope of glory, the aspect and the presentation of God that is very personal in your life. While Jesus is in heaven preparing a place for you and the Father is on his throne, it's God the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you to speak words of comfort, to speak words of peace. He is there to guide you to the day of redemption. That's the day that Jesus comes. That's what that's referring to. 
that the one who's going to see you home is God the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve Him. Don't grieve Him. Don't disobey Him. Don't willfully sin in such a way that, that offends Him. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And then he says, put away these things. Take off these, these grave clothes. Put away all bitterness. You know what that is? That's a settled hostility that's set up in your hard, heart, like hard cement, a hostility, bitterness. Put away wrath. That's a long-standing anger and unforgiveness. And then he says anger. Why wrath and anger? One of them's long-standing and unforgiving. The other is describing a temper tantrum. Well, it's just because I have red hair. It's just because my great-granddaddy was Irish. No, it's just because you're a stinking sinner. And so am I. And so our temper tantrum. Put away bitterness, wrath, anger. Put away clamor. That's just impulsive outcries. That's when guy, someone cuts you off in traffic and you say, Well, you idiot! Maybe it doesn't go to the point of making you angry or bitter, but it's an impulsive outcry. It's clamor. Put away slander. That's blasphemy. To speak down about people and God. And put away malice. That's wickedness and depravity. Put those things all away. And in place, put on the grace clothes of be kind, be tender-hearted, and be forgiving. Why? Because Christ has forgiven you. Because Christ has forgiven you. Because Christ has forgiven you. Be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. Man. That's a different way of living than what our world is like today, is it not? You say, it's so hard to be a Christian today. It's so hard to live by these kind of standards. Not like the old man, but instead like the new man. And instead, as the people of God in this world, living a changed life. And as I said a week or so ago, I say again, it'll be here on the screen, I believe. What a great opportunity we have to be the people of God in this world. That kind of life may not have stood out so much a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago. But you begin to live that kind of changed life today, you're going to shine like a light of God in a darkened world. Amen? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. I pray that we would day by day become more like your son, Jesus Christ, for your honor and for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. 
If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.